1: well hello so i'm back with another episode and Alf is actually 18 months now and i actually got an instagram message over the weekend about basically a a lady asking for help because she's just given birth and she's found out that she has seal, which for anyone who doesn't know is a type of prolapse that i had after childbirth and i was thinking about how how quickly everything goes but also how after you give birth it's so well it's not really talked about at the beginning but you know I tried to talk about it and then Even me, who is so honest and open, I kind of realized that I'd stopped talking about where I was and what I do and what I've used to help me along the way. And to you guys, to be transparent about my own journey, I'm still having lots of issues ongoing, even 18 months after from childbirth. And I certainly don't want to scare any mums-to-be because I don't think this is very common. But because I was stitched up incorrectly you know i'm still having lots of issues with pain but i've also come a long way because i don't have prolapse anymore and i don't suffer from incontinence anymore so i thought i would kind of do a recap and refresh episode and i'm really excited about my guest today because i feel like she is the ideal person that I would want to talk to when it comes to talking all things about pelvic floor. So she is a mum of two, although her kids are a little bit older now. She is the CEO and founder of LV. So hi Tanya Bola, first of all. Hi Ashley, thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. So you actually worked in women's health for various NGOs and the United Nations. But I think I'm right in saying that it was only when you were pregnant with your first child that you actually learned about pelvic floor, which seems, I mean, absolutely bonkers if you were working in women's health and pelvic health wasn't sort of something that you knew about. And then from what I understand, you were frustrated by the lack of innovation in female health products, inaccessible and outdated pelvic floor trainers to complicated breast pumps. So you decided to tackle taboo health topics for women head on and that was when LV was created is that
3: yeah no that that is the snapshot I mean I suppose I had been working in taboo health issues but not it was more sexual health so HIV prevention teenage pregnancy I think if you'd asked me when I was 18 what was my sort of dream job I wanted to go work in the United Nations my mum she's originally from Indonesia she'd been adopted so the whole issue around orphans was was really sort of really personal for me at mm-hmm. that time, the HIV crisis in Africa was, was kicking off and, you know, it's a preventable sexual health uh, epidemic uh, if we would only just educate people more around prevention. And, and that's kind of what I focused on in my 20s, being my dream job to work in international development. I got really frustrated quite quickly, though, with how slow innovation is, how slow change is and, and working with governments and research. And then it was actually when I was pregnant for the first time, similar to what you were saying, how... As women, we go through these changes, and and yeah, we really don't know about them. I mean, I knew about pelvic floor in the sense, you know, I used to watch Sex and the City, and Sam used to always talk about Kegel exercises. Mm-hmm. I knew something around, you know, when you go through, you might have to try and squeeze and stop your urine halfway, but it wasn't really anything I knew much about. And then it was when I was in their pregnancy Pilates class, and the instructor said to me, you know, Tanya, the most important thing you need to do for yourself as a woman is look after your pelvic floor. And that resonated on so many levels, like similar to any what you talk about on this podcast. For me as a woman, like being a career woman, being really busy, suddenly being pregnant and everything focused on this baby and nothing on me as an individual, how I was feeling mentally, physically, and so on. What she said really resonated. So yeah, I went home and I was like, well, what is this about pelvic floor? Like, I, I know what it is, but why is it the most important thing? And actually, my husband's French. And I don't know if you know, if you've looked much at how women in France become parents, but it's very different to the UK. I think it's a bit more balanced. There's more focus on the on the individuals, on the women, as well as the baby.
1: I know, do they get six weeks free physio
3: after childbirth? Exactly. And also just the general approach, right? They just sort of generally think, you need to have a happy mum before you can have a happy baby. Whereas here, I think it's very much just focused on that baby. Yeah. But yeah, so basically every woman gets six weeks physio and it's actually the more I research it's like how it used to be in the UK in the 1950s and sixties, you know, women would spend a week in hospital and you would be looked after postnatally because your body, like exactly through the experience you just described, we go through so much change, even pregnancy through birthing and so on. And here in the UK, there wasn't really anything to support women. So, yes, yeah, so I talked to my husband and he was kind of shocked that we don't have that here in the UK. And that's kind of when I became basically obsessed of why is there this huge issue for women around pelvic floor health? Nobody's talking about it. And yet
1: you can prevent and treat it. Do you know what's interesting to me? So I actually I'm a huge fan of LV, by the way. And I, I first purchased the LV trainer which is obviously the pelvic trainer before I was pregnant. But I have, I've had reoccurring kidney infections ever since I was about 23. Well, the situation now is that I have one kidney that is like a super-sized kidney that's doing all the work, but the other kidney is only got 20% function or 23% function. So what that means is it's quite often quite dormant so I'm quite prone to infections and it got to a really bad point funny enough just before pregnancy where they were considering injecting my bladder with Botox and they said one of the side effects of that might be that I would need a catheter because it could paralyze my bladder and it was only then that a friend of mine who funny enough a friend of a friend was working for LV and she had said has Ashley tried a pelvic trainer And I had never heard of this. And I thought, how funny that even with the NHS, no one has talked about the importance of pelvic floor. And I've been going through all of these tests. I mean, I had my urethra widened to try and stop infection. But no one ever explained what the importance of pelvic health was. So that was when I first started learning about pelvic health. And also another friend of mine is a a doctor. And I remember she told me this horrifying story that women who are older, sometimes their vaginas fall out. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, like vaginas fall out. And she was like, that's why you've got to do your pelvic floor. But nobody ever explained to me how you do a pelvic floor. You know, I thought it's kind of like, clenching and unclenching. And it was only when I became pregnant that actually I learned that it's how important it is for female health. And I was put on a machine that kind of tested your pelvic floor. And so even though I'd kind of heard of pelvic health, it kind of like made me angry that no one was like teaching us about this really important thing. Like, I think, you know, it's, it's what you'd say is a hammock, isn't it? That keeps up all of your sort of like your genitals, your core muscles, like it's so important for us as women and no one's really talking about it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, I mean, you just touched on so many different points there, but the NHS in general isn't very good with women's health and it's not very good at prevention either. I mean, do you remember back to your six week checkout postnatal, like what did they do at that point? They didn't do much, right?
1: This is another thing. I remember after giving birth, Alfie was 9.5 pounds. And I remember really pushing, like even between contractions, because I was so worried about his heart rate. And Tommy says he still remembers the sound of me ripping in half. But anyway, I was given this baby, and like it's so much relief that he was healthy. But I remember having to ask the midwives, like, "Oh, so am, am I? Am I okay?" And I felt very much from that moment that I was an afterthought. Like they didn't even like say, "Well, let's check you out." And then when they looked at me and they they said, "Oh, yes, you will need stitches," I didn't really grasp like how bad the situation was but I waited and waited for this six-week checkup so I was released I think it was after like two weeks and they checked the stitches and they were like oh yes it was all that's healing and then they, they signed me off which I now know is because I think NHS midwives they are only paid for two weeks after so then there's no need like why would they keep you on after that point so I was absolutely terrified of my genitals like obviously we all know about the first time like going for a poo after childbirth but then I felt like I just expected by six weeks, I would be completely back to normal, back to running, back to work, back to everything. And my six weeks checkup, they actually didn't check me at all. They checked out. And then when I said, oh, are you going to check me? And they're like, oh, no, no, how's your mental health? Have you thought about contraception? And I was like, my vagina has been ripped in half. I think that is contraception. Like, I, I'm i not even thinking about having sex right now. Like, It felt really felt a bit like what you're not going to check me because I've had operations in the past and I've always had someone check my stitches yeah I just felt like horrified that I was kind of left so I went to go see a private physio which is obviously like a huge privilege and it shouldn't be a privilege but a privilege that I was able to do that and that was when she said oh you've got seal," which is essentially when I mean, you probably know more than me, but it's like your rectum is hanging lower than it should. And also, I had gone for a run, and I felt throbbing. But Marta, my physio, was like, "If you go for a run, like you're going to do so much damage to yourself." Like you, and that—that that was when she said, "You know, use the use the trainer, and also take your time." Because I feel like you know, there's this huge pressure. Like the the huge frustration for me is that postnatal health is. We only hear about it in terms of weight loss, using, losing the baby weight, even in the media, you know, like so and so steps out however many weeks after giving birth, looking trim, or, you know, it's always about weight. And actually, we don't, we're not really ever told that we're not meant to lose the baby weight. You know, it could be to be potentially dangerous to lose it within that short amount of time you're right it can be dangerous i mean yeah it takes like you said you expected by six
3: weeks that you would be back to normal you know me too you just sort of think you're going to be running around again and yeah if you you know i didn't know much about this before i started LV, but i started interviewing a lot of doctors surgeons urinary incontinence nurses and it takes at least six months for your body to kind of bounce back or get back to normal and to your point everyone is so worried about getting fitter abs and so on but if you have diocese rectus and your abdominal muscles have pulled apart at all you know it's not good to be doing abdominal crunches and so on and nobody quite appreciates that the pelvic floor is kind of it's such a key part of your core muscles right it's so linked to your lower back and your abdominals what i found basically when i was talking to doctors and nurses and so on to try and work out i didn't know at that point i wanted to create a bit tech i actually thought let's do what they do in france let's open physio clinics let's make it a bit more normal maybe when you go to a spa or a gym, you could also have this pelvic floor assessment. In the end, I decided that business model wasn't really going to work. It wasn't going to scale. And I also realized, why can't you give women tech to do at home? But when I started talking to like, all these NHS doctors, the problem is, to your point, like you didn't have much education or knowledge around this. You were able to go talk to physio. I was able to talk to physio. But most women don't know what's going on. So it's only once they start having bladder problems or prolapse problems. And on average, it takes them five years before they get it diagnosed. So by that point, what the doctors were kind of saying, and they said this in quite brutal terms, they basically said, these women need surgery. We tell them to do a bit of exercise to make them feel better about themselves, but it's too late. So it's about how do you reach women earlier? And postnatal should be the perfect point, right? That's the point where you need to focus on this. But at the moment, that's not happening. I mean, you know, I still... I spent my early career working with governments and stuff, so I would love it in the long term that we work with governments. We get this should be part of education at school, right? Women should learn about this at school. But in the meantime, you know, launching a tech company and then all the new kind of new digital offerings for, for new mums, it's kind of like all this innovation sprung up, partly because I think that you know there's not much help from the NHS at the moment.
2: There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
0: You can find us wherever you get your podcasts from, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Acast. Just search for Paranormal Activity with Yvette Fielding.
1: What, what if you don't mind me asking, was your experience with childbirth and where did the creation of LV come along? Because did you have experience in tech? Like, how on earth do you just bring out <laughs> tech? So was it because you... I mean, I know you mentioned that it was during pregnancy, but yeah, what, what was sort of your own experiences with your pregnancies and your pelvic floor? And also another another like side note is what made you realize, because I was, we grew up laughing and joking about the fact that mums couldn't go on trampolines, like it was almost just... The norm that mums had incontinence after childbirth. Like it was never seen as something that could be fixed quite easily. You're right. There was always, it's sort of this woman's thing, isn't it? That, that it's just accepted that after you have a baby, that you can't,
3: and you might not enjoy sex anymore, and all these things that we just accept as, as part of being a woman. For me, again, I was honestly seeing how it was in France. So basically, when I started reading about it, I started talking to like some of my friends and family out in France. And all the women there were just, just horrified that in England we don't do this and that we accept the fact that we can't jump on a trampoline and we can't run or we might have painful sex. Or, or you know, they just, they're horrified that we don't even see a gynecologist every six months. You know, in, in France, women see female health specialists twice a year. They have better breast cancer screening and so on. So I think because I could see in France that it's doable, right, that you can have that cultural shift that women They understand what they need to do, and you give them the right technology, then they will do it. So I suppose I could see that as something to aim for, and that kind of gave me hope. It's not an impossible thing. Like it it felt pretty impossible in the early days. Like investors were like, "What are you doing? You're creating a product that goes in the vagina. It's hardware. You don't have any tech experience. You don't have any business experience. It's a taboo topic. Nobody talks about this." Like people honestly thought I was mad. But I just, I'm quite pigheaded. I suppose I just thought, you know, I know this can work. I know this. I'm a bit of a scientist, right? So I'd gone through the clinical trials and basically like the thing you described earlier, like that machine in, in a hospital, when I looked at what actually works, what I found is that women were buying stuff that doesn't work. I mean, it depends what problems you have, right? So I think you have, you were ripped, right? So if you have structural problems or tears, then EMS, which is basically electric shock. Sometimes you need that to stimulate the muscles. But for most women, what they actually need is what's the most effective is what they call biofeedback. So you're basically lying in a bed in a hospital. There's quite an uncomfortable, cold, large vaginal probe that they sort of insert. Then there's electric pads, which they stick on your body. And then there's a huge screen. And then you can see on your screen, your pelvic floor in motion. And or you can use ultrasound, which like costs 10K. And the reason that works is kind of, it's like proprioception, so it's sort of showing you your, your muscles so you can see if you're improving. Because otherwise, right, if you, if you listen to what health professionals say, they often say, do your pelvic floor exercises twice a day, every day for the rest of your life. It's like brushing your teeth. And, yes, you should make it part of your daily routine, but how boring is that? Like how boring is it if you never know where you're starting from, you never know if you're improving, and so people lose motivation, right? So for me, it's like how can we design something that people can use at home and once I kind of became kind of obsessed that that's what we needed to do, I had this sort of vision of what the product should be like. I mean, I literally remember drawing on a piece of paper at that point. Like I just didn't know, I didn't even know a single engineer in my life. My sister had a boyfriend who knew how to CAD, you know, like draw things up in yeah. computer system design. I kind of told him what this product looked like. He kind of drew it up. And I just kept sort of thinking about it and thinking, why can't we have this horrible thing that they have in the hospitals? and create something that's gamified, make it fun, but make sure obviously that it works. So I kind of had this very high level concept and it didn't, by the way, you know, people always think you just come up with an an idea like it's Eureka, oh wow, had this idea, light bulb moment. But this took months, right? So it was like, I was kind of, and you asked for the personal bit too, right? So I was beginning to become obsessed with this issue and thinking this is what I want to work on. But like many women, I'd had my first baby and I kept thinking, well, I've got a really good stable job. Maybe I'll wait till I have my second baby, and then I'll take my 12 months maternity leave, and then I'll really work on this this idea that I've had in my head. And then, actually, I had a miscarriage after after my first child, and I was obviously really devastated by the miscarriage. But I also was just so upset that I couldn't quit my job to do this crazy idea and how I had in my head. And then I realized, you know, we often just plan so much in our careers based around when we think we might get pregnant, mm-hmm. uh, and it's so out of our control that that's when I kind of realized I should just. If I could, you know, just go for it with a business idea. So, yes, I had the idea. And then to your point, how did I work out how to make it? I mean, you learn along the way, right? It was definitely, I was very, very naive at the beginning. But like with everything in life, sometimes you get lucky and you get to meet people who can help you. So the first big thing that happened, I actually applied for, basically, I met, I didn't even know any entrepreneurs. And somebody said to me, oh, you know, this guy, Tom Adiula, do you remember he used to manage the band at university? He's an entrepreneur. You should talk to him. (laughs) So I went to talk to him and then he said that he'd won this innovation money from, from the government. So I was like, oh, I should apply for that. So I remember I took like two days off work and I thought I'm going to apply for this £100,000 grant. And I literally actually, I didn't even know what the questions meant. Like one of them was, what is your exploitation plan? I was like, I didn't even know what that is. I was like Googling it. But then drawing on my network, I was like, okay, I know somebody who works at McKinsey. They can help me with the business section. I know this guy who's an engineer. And I kind of cobbled together this application form, sent it in. And it was amazing. I won £100,000. And that was this sort of wow. incredible moment when I just thought this crazy idea in my head. You know, when you've got something on your head and you're working on it, you have no idea if it means anything. But, you know, these experts had said, yeah, go for it. So um, that was kind of the beginning. And then quite quickly, as I had to then start raising money, I met somebody called Alex Asaley. And he came in as my co-founder. And he's been amazing because he basically created Jawbone, which is a big company, tech company. And so he was able to help me you know, make sure I hired the right engineers, build the right team. But it's been a really bumpy journey. And you know, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted.
1: <laughs> it's so interesting. like It's so nice to hear that you were kind of, yeah, it wasn't like a speciality and you do this for kind of like, one woman on a mission you've also made me think you know I kind of alluded to it when I started the episode but I still get such pain during sex to the point that it's almost impossible so you've made me think like oh my goodness I didn't know that we're meant to have gynecology appointments because you're you're brought up in a nobody talks about vulvas and vagina. I mean, I, I'm 35 years old and I've only just discovered that a vulva is what I've been calling a vagina. You know, like we are not taught about our bodies and we certainly we don't have any guidance for postnatal care. And I feel like I was really passionate and dedicated to my pelvic health in the early days or at least the early months. And then I think when sleep deprivation kicks in and you kind of go into survival mode, you sort of just or at least I did, just forget. And then I am that person that probably, you know, a year and a half down the line or four or five years down the line, that you're suddenly like, hang on, this doesn't seem right. Like my body isn't functioning as it's meant to function. We need to do something about it. But it's tough
3: because we can't be too harsh on ourselves. You're right, we're so exhausted. We're so deep sleep deprived. And I remember when I was interviewing doctors, some of them were like, why don't you just give mums a break? They're so exhausted. you really want to give them something else to worry about? But the good thing is you can come to it any time, right? So actually, if you you know, you can just go back to using the trainer or doing your exercises and it's you know, it's like going to the gym, right? You can sort of pick it up whenever. But the the painful sex is such a big issue. Nobody talks about that. And even when you said earlier you used to have urinary tract infections, like at least you know it's because you're a kidney, but we found also that because pelvic floor, it's not just around having a weak pelvic floor. Actually, a lot of women hold a lot of stress in their pelvic floor, so it can actually be too tight. And that's a big cause of painful sex. And there's, you know, quite easy techniques to relax your pelvic floor there. And often actually women who think they have urinary tract infections also have have problems with their pelvic floor. So yeah, but to your point, we should all be seeing gynecologists and there's so many different issues down there. And and again, even though we all talk about because of the rise of social, we're much more open, there's kind of untabooing. we're all sharing much more on social than we used to. But in some ways I think, you know, when I talked to doctors, they said again in the 1950s, 60s, they would actually teach women with a mirror look, here's your vulva, here's your vagina, and you've sort of become much more attuned. And and we found that LV Trainer, right, it's a product you put in your vagina, and as you squeeze your pelvic floor, you can see on an app how you are doing it. And women have a very, very emotive reaction. They might often start laughing or crying because they have never really understood this part of their bodies, right? Suddenly you're having an insight into something that's so key to who we are and and we don't,
1: don't know about. If you don't mind me asking how did you then evolve LV into breastfeeding I know we're going slightly out of the pelvic floor area mainly because guys if anyone's listening and you're worried about your pelvic floor please if you can go see a pelvic health physio I'm definitely going to book a gynaecology appointment after this but also if you can't get referred by your doctor like by your GP the NHS does have a gynaecology service but I do want to move on because I know that we're quite short on time but i only use the LV pump throughout my whole breastfeeding experience and i mean i i love the catch which is it catches milk so you know in my early days of being a mom i just put it in my bra and you know when milk was so precious it would literally allow me to save every drop but the pump i used it to like up my supply it helped me stop getting mastitis when alf was biting towards the end of my feeding journey it allowed me to like pump and at that point he was drinking from a cup but also when i stopped quite abruptly because of his continued biting it allowed me to keep like pumping until my supply dwindled but honestly i just think it's, su- it's such a brilliant product and crazy that it never existed before you know not having to sit down and I mean, I think bump, pumping is such an unglamorous thing is, anyway, isn't it? Like seeing your nipples be pumped, like there's yeah. something inc- incredibly unglamorous about it. But to be able to do it on the go and discreetly is, I mean, it is a total game changer. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, so what was it
3: like? We launched LV Trainer, right? I was so naive. I thought I'm launching this product. It's going to help women. It's just going to take off, right? <laughs> um, but also, I was also quite clear with that product, similar to what we've done from building the LV brand. I didn't want it to be too medical. Yes, i talked to lots of doctors. Yes, I wanted it to be strong scientifically, but I wanted it to be kind of more of a lifestyle product where women just choose to use this product. So, for example, we launched on Goop back in the day. We launched, you know, our first press article was in Vogue. So we're trying to very much place it in a certain space. And, sort of, and we also launched a bar court. so in a boutique gym. But to be honest, it was really tough because I didn't realize like how taboo this issue is, like how hard it is to educate women get them to be open about it, get them to think about putting a bit of tech in their vagina. Like I know you've done it, Ashley, but a lot of women, you know, it takes a long time to get them in that space where they kind of take that risk. So basically what I'm saying is the business wasn't doing very well. It's really hard to get kind of, to even get the numbers we needed to get further investment. And then as soon as you've launched this product, you're trying to make it make it work. And then suddenly everyone's saying, what's your next product? And I'll be honest, we didn't actually have a plan. We didn't have a second product because I was just passionate about pelvic floor. I, I never thought about the company or, or the longer term thing. But somehow along the way, what had become clear to me is that all tech for women is horribly designed. Like we've been so short-changed. and not just on tech, but any women's health issue, be it endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, all these, these issues which are fairly prevalent and, and somehow been completely neglected. But when it came to tech, which is obviously the bit that we were good at, it just sort of dawned on me that like nothing was as badly designed for women as the breast pump. It's the old architecture, you know, your women just felt, I mean, even me, my pumping experience were horrible, right? You just felt, you felt like a cow. You're sort of connected into the wall. It's making this horrible sound. It's painful. It's cumbersome. It's just a really horrible experience. And, and you're right, you know, pumping is never going to be glamorous. It's never going to be as good as feeding, but does it have to be a really, really negative experience? So that's kind of when it just struck me that that's what we had to tackle next. And it also somehow worked because our engineers, I ended up hiring a team from Dyson. And so their competency is obviously, on vacuum technology. And it was just sort of a bit of a, a match on lots of different ways. Although it was also a bit crazy, right? Because back then the designers were like, look, normally when you innovate, you innovate along one dimension. So what do you want? Do we make it quieter? Do we make it smaller? Do we make it less painful? Like, what do we do? And we were like, no, we need to do all of the above. We have to literally rip up the rule book, start with a blank piece of paper because there's been no innovation in breast pumps, So we need to change everything, which is quite kind of risky from a product design point of view. But we went for it. And yeah, that's what we created, the world's first silent wearable breast pump. And what's been really amazing about that product is it has managed to, because it has created this kind of a positive experience and women want to share so much about it. It's almost like it gives women a superpower. It's like, look at me, I'm running a marathon and I'm pumping or on a plane and I'm pumping. I'm doing all these amazing things and I'm providing breast milk to my baby. I
1: couldn't believe it. I was on a beach being able to pump. It is Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? And I've actually lent mine to my sister who was feeling, like you said, like a total cow. Like she had lots of supply issues and she ended up stopping breastfeeding. But one of the big parts of that was because she felt so horrific being tied to this big ugly breast pump all the time and she used my LV pump and it made such a big difference for her and allowed her to like carry on that little bit longer
3: yeah no and it's been amazing and that product has kind of catapulted us as well because i think it was just a with the first product what we're doing is we're, we're creating demand we're creating a new category nobody's ever heard of a pelvic floor trainer right and we'll get there like it's so important like pelvic floor health is still the thing i'm passionate about more than anything but it's and actually having the pump out is helping us also talk more about pelvic floor health but i think like with anything in female health it's a long term gain like it takes a long time to change attitudes and education and get women. but you know i do obviously believe if you get women the right tools be it the right knowledge and the right technology then they will make positive decisions around their bodies it's just getting it out there
1: do you have any place for women who are worried about their pelvic health no matter what stage of you know their journey whether it's they're pregnant or postnatal however many years later like, is there a space where you that you have that has more information for anyone that wants it yeah i mean lv.com
3: and on our social and actually we're launching a, a digital only proposition we're launching an app at the end of the year so that will be a kind of a safe space where we share content particularly kind of more experts led
1: content. because I think you know anybody can use Google, but it's difficult to then know what, what you can trust and so on. Amazing. Tanya, I know that you are very busy and need to go, so I'm, I'm just going to say thank you so much. Like I said, I, I've loved each and every one of um, the products, so it's been really nice to hear how it all works. And yeah, hopefully between us all, we can keep tackling the taboo around pelvic health. And um, I think you're amazing for what you've invented.
3: Thank you, Ashley. And yeah, likewise, it's great that we're partnering and it's just great what you're also doing to just talk so openly about some of this stuff. Even what you were saying earlier today, it's just, they're not things that women talk about and it's so common. So it's great that we're doing this together.
1: Yeah, I'm so pleased. Thank you so much. Thanks, Ashley. I absolutely love speaking with Tanya. I feel honestly like I've genuinely loved their products. I don't know how I would have got through breastfeeding, especially when I was back at work. And pelvic health is something, like I said, I've not talked about for so long. I feel like maybe you have a grace period. I was speaking to a friend who's pregnant, actually. And when you're in that sort of what they call the fourth trimester, people really ask how you are and they really care and you know they're sending meals and then I think it gets to a certain point and people almost are like expect you to have got back to normal and moved on and I think for me personally I'm going to make more of an effort to keep talking about sort of the the childbirth recovery, because it is still so shrouded in mystery, isn't it? On my Instagram, by the way, I do have a highlights page about pelvic health. So if you go on my main profile and there's all those little circles of highlights, there is a pelvic health section. And that details much more about what I went through, you know, within the first six months. And then I think I did just become a bit embarrassed of where my body is now. And I think as we have all been through this journey with me, like my... Mental health battles and the tiredness and sleep deprivation that I guess your body sort of becomes second fiddle, doesn't it, and it's not something that I feel that we really know about, and so you know I'm at the stage now where i I still do feel lots of pain, especially if it comes to trying to have sex, and I still have piles and I think I I probably should kind of focus a bit more attention back on my pelvic health and remember that it's not normal and we don't need to suffer in silence. And most importantly, that it's not embarrassing. Why is it that we do this amazing thing like giving birth, no matter how you give birth, whether it's C-section, vaginal, it seems like we aren't allowed to be open about the recovery and it's crazy, isn't it? Because we shouldn't be embarrassed about our bodies and how they recover. And by the way, anyone listening who is pregnant, like I hope it doesn't scare you because I have lots of friends that did go back to normal. I'm saying normal in quotation marks because whatever normal means. But like everything, like our bodies are all unique in how we heal. But hopefully anyone who is listening who, like me, is a bit further down the line and still doesn't feel normal or maybe is embarrassed of the fact that they're not having sex that doesn't feel horrifically painful then it's our little wake-up call to whether it's going to see a gynecologist or pelvic health physio if we're in a position to or demanding to be referred to the NHS gynecology team Then this is our sign so yeah what what an inspiring lady and hopefully pelvic health will become less taboo and I'm definitely talking through awkwardness trying to be open because that's i guess the only way that we can de-stigmatize it but i got a lovely email this week that i wanted to share slightly moving on as always I do love hearing from you so whether it's on askmumsthewordpod at gmail.com or whether you leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whether you want to get in touch on WhatsApp by the way you can send a voice message for free and I'd love to play one so that's 75 but This one is from Pip, who is actually a friend of a friend, and I lent her my snoo. So I've actually not met Pip, but she's a friend of one of my close friends, and I actually haven't seen this, but I just saw her message now so she said i stumbled across your podcast in the early hours of the morning while feeding theo for approximately the 94th time that night i remember that i remember those days and i want to say huge thank you for being so honest about it all it made me feel so much less alone from the suicidal thoughts the resentment and just the general unsexiness of being a mom and then epic lack of sleep, but feeling like maybe you've brought it on yourself because you can't imagine even attempting quiet out techniques. I'm totally with you there. It all just really rang true. I'm also pretty haphazard type of person. So I find weaning pretty hardcore just because you have to plan and have stuff available. Total mission. And I've never had routines for myself. So having one for the kids is just nah I mean they're lucky if they get a bath these days and my two and a half year old still pretty much lives off beige party food but it's just nice to hear someone talk honestly about it all like you do so thank you and you've made my nights easier even if the snoo didn't actually if it had worked then I probably wouldn't have stumbled upon your podcast so swings around roundabouts right thanks again you're an inspiration doing amazing things for women oh I actually hadn't read that in advance so that's so nice thank you Pip and I actually didn't know about the snoo but it didn't work for me either and I really wanted to too but yeah I feel like we have to talk about these things because we do sometimes feel like we're on our own don't we whether it's us feeding pouches or not sleeping and feeling like we're failing at motherhood and a job or you know I feel like there's while our experiences are so unique there's lots of very similar emotions isn't there and all we can do is be honest about them so so on that note thank you so much for listening to mum's the word the parenting podcast i hope this episode was useful and maybe it has inspired you to get an lv trainer or see someone professional by the way i totally recommend the lv breast pump if you are thinking about breastfeeding and yeah make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button so that you never miss an episode and i'll be back with another one same time same place next week